Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all on the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. I have been looking forward to this podcast for a long time. We are going to go deep into practical marketing for job shops, particularly digital marketing, and even talk about some of the lies marketing companies tell you. With me, Live in our luxurious Nashua, New Hampshire studio is Matt Cerdillo, job shop marketing guru extraordinaire. I have worked with Matt since 2011, first at Rapid, where he came on board as the first marketing person, and later he was directing a staff of three as well as contract marketing specialists. Rapid's success was in a large part due to typically having 20% of total customers every month be first-time customers. Marking was critical in making that happen. Matt left Rapid to join Paperless Parts, where he is currently Director of Marketing Services, helping both paperless and non-paperless customers with their digital marketing efforts. Matt also has general management experience with profit and loss responsibility. Matt also has general management experience with profit and loss responsibility because I recruited him as a very part-time general interim manager of New Hampshire Climbing and Fitness so that he could understand P&L and what it was like to manage people. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Matt. Thanks for having me, Jay. So one of the little known facts about Matt Cerdillo is that your birthday is December 25th. Yep. How does that work out for you? Um, it's, it's been good. My, my parents, I think, recognize that um, it's important to celebrate it 
separately than Christmas. So I never got the, uh, the double one day presents for both. It was always separate. So it was an exciting time. You get half on the 24th and half on the 25th. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have i uh, I'd have a birthday on the 25th that night. And then, um, you know, with friends the week prior and then Christmas, Christmas morning. So it was actually just like an extravaganza of, of gifts instead of just like, here's your Christmas slash birthday present. <laughs> so one of your claims to fame is that you are one of the most responsive people you will ever meet. And sometimes it's annoyingly so. <laughs> I send you an email and you fire a reply immediately and I haven't even caught my breath. How do you do that? Uh, well, you shouldn't have sent the email if, uh, if I'm going to catch you off guard by responding really quickly. Um, it's, uh, it's a part of who I am. I, I've done it since you had hired me in 2011. So it's just it's less of a work habit and more of a um, sort of a way I way I would like to be treated. And you know, if someone needs something from me, I'm going to help right away. If I need something from you, I I appreciate a a, a sense of urgency in your response as well. So I think also a part of it is getting it off the list. Yeah. You know, so I can get more done when what's needed to get done. That's is just the way you operate. Yep. So I operate. It is blindingly fast and again, sometimes annoyingly so. <laughs> Before we get into the marketing, digital marketing, I think it really makes sense to talk about your experience at Rapid and let's even go back to when you initially came on. Marketing was something that we always did at Rapid because in essence, I'm a marketing guy. I went into sales because I never felt marketing paid that well, but uh, marketing was marketing was the heart of my sales effort. And what I mean by that is I used marketing to drive demand and then I closed on that demand. And that's the way that I like to work in a sales environment. I think it's a waste of time to talk to people or try to engage in people who have no interest in your services. Let sure. them come to you and then close them on what you're doing. Yep. So you were initially hired to execute and expand programs we already had in place, but it went way beyond that pretty quickly. Can you share just how that started and then what you did to take the reins of marketing, make it your own, and then go way beyond what actually I ever dreamed we might be able to do? Sure. So when I started at Rapid, I had zero marketing experience, really. I, didn't, I hadn't done anything prior to that. It was just fresh out of school. And so my first goal, and I had gone to school for marketing and was interested, so that's what I wanted to do. So I had the drive to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so when I got there, um, the first thing I tackled was doing everything that you had done, figure out how you did it, and then figure out how to do it better. Um, and so then do you remember what some of those things were that, yeah, were? I remember, uh, um, I think it was called Swift page you're using for email marketing. Oh yeah. Um, and so that was the big one was email marketing and trade shows. That's when people actually open their emails. Yeah. So now it's a, num a numbers game. You just got to send hundreds of thousands for five responses. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, email marketing was a big one. And then trade shows were pretty established with you guys. I think you were probably doing maybe six a year when I got there. Um, so learning how to do that and then uh, working with user groups um, was established. 
Right. We'll talk a little later, I yep. hope, on the SolidWorks user groups yep. because that was the primary one. And um, let's see, we were running pay-per-click ad campaigns with Google. And then we had, um, let's see, at that time, we would have had three websites, I believe. Um, and That's managed- right. We had some decoy websites yeah. to bring in business. That was the, the, the black hat uh, Google tricks that you can't get away you, with. Yeah, today. you can't do that anymore. Yeah, it doesn't work today. So one of the things, though, you just mentioned five areas where you were focused, where we were focused right when you started, yep. and then you expanded into other areas. So I think it's important that marketing isn't just looked at as you, you jump into one area and that's the only thing you do. Marketing, different people take in content in different ways. And if you're not doing it in a bunch of different ways, then you're not going to reach or have the opportunity to reach everybody in the market. Sure. So early on responsibilities were again, trade shows, um, managing the websites and creating content for them, managing our pay-per-click, um, outsourced pay-per-click company and managing trade shows. Um, and between those items, it was, it was a lot to learn and take in right away. And then once I figured those things out and felt comfortable doing them is when I was able to try different things and trying different things meant making those existing things better to an extent, right? So being able to upgrade ways we're doing things, upgrading the trade show, upgrading our email marketing tactics, um, even building out new websites. So again, when I started, we had three before we did a redesign in 2016, we had seven websites. So mm. the idea was to build out content on each one, figure out the priorities um, of the business in terms of revenue, and then build out in those areas. And then again, focus on groups. There was a lot of, a lot of little things we did, and then it was always just testing new things, and a lot of those things failed. It makes me think, just in websites alone, when we started in 2001, we created a website, and then I'm not sure the exact year, the, the way that websites look and feel and users interact with them changes the way that Google looks at websites changes. So the whole idea of seven websites where it eventually ended up with one, but we went from let's call it the 2001 website to maybe a 2008 website, which you inherited, which we, I remember one of the things we tried to, put in every state and major cities <laughs> just so that the keywords were there, yep. but that doesn't work anymore or that's no. not the, the way. So you, because you, just because you created a website five years ago, doesn't mean that that website sure. is actually really working with how the web works today. The, what the discovery sure. on the web. So, I mean the Google, if you just look at Google as a business, their whole goal is to sell ads. Mm-hmm. And if they aren't presenting um, results in ads that users like, users are not going to go back to Google to use them. And mm-hmm. if they don't go back, then they can't make as much money on having an audience. Mm-hmm. So it's in Google's best interest to serve content that's um, usable for the user. So I, rem- I remember we had a website when we had rapidsheetmetal.com. We had esheetmetal.com as well. Yes. And we'd get quotes in from that. And sometimes the estimators would be like, like not know what company that was for. They thought it was like from a different company because it's in the back of your mind. Right. Um, so 
and again, like you mentioned, the states, we had, you know, New Hampshire sheet metal, New Jersey sheet metal web pages, which worked. Um, but it's not as effective today because if someone is in New Jersey looking for sheet metal, they get to their, the website and you're not from New Jersey, they leave right away. Google sees that and it's not impactful. And, and so that's, a, that's, a, that's a key point is that it may seem very big brotherish, but Google and, and we're just going to say Google because most of the sure. web searches go through Google. They are measuring things like how long someone is yep. on a page on your website. And that's part of the criteria, whether they serve up that page again yep. in the future. Yeah. Well, whether you leave right away or go to five different pages on the website and then submit a form. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's how much the user valued that website. So we grew to the point where we were doing so many things that, you had to hire people and you ended up with three people. I don't really want to go into the direction of managing, but why, what, what, where did you hire specific people and why did you do that? Yeah. So uh, one of the early hires we did was for data management because I knew that the more people that we reached, the more, um, you know, the higher the, the odds of us getting a quote. So it was important to me to gather a huge database of, in our case, mechanical engineers with a credit card. Those were our customers. We, we, we did prototypes. Mm -hmm. um, so we had high amount of transactions that were a low dollar value. So we needed, you know, we needed a lot of quotes to, to bring in a lot of revenue. Um, so data management meant sort of an, uh, not just sourcing, but enriching. So if we had a person's name and email, that's great. But I, I would also like their web address, their phone number for our sales team and any other information we can gather their LinkedIn, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. So because, I mean, by the time we left, we had 180,000 contacts in our database and people move around. So that data is never, never fresh. Um, so yeah. that was that. If you don't have someone actively cleaning it, I think yep. that's what, how we described it. Sure. Then it's stale. That email bounces back and, it doesn't mean that person left the industry. It's that cleaning probably means that you say, okay, let's look him up on LinkedIn because the LinkedIn profile probably doesn't change. Where's the new company. And I remember we used tools to figure out email addresses. We yep. would, there's typical way email addresses are first initial last name. Yeah. The syntaxes were very simple. So we would so blast say. out, say, 10 different emails to figure out which one was the, actually the one that got through to them. These are the more sophisticated type of marketing activities, but as you scale and you really get into it, those are the types of opportunities because you, you do just want to keep reaching the same people. Sure. And, and, and we'd send an email out to 50,000 people and, you know, say even a hundred bounced. So not only does that, person managing data need to figure out where they went. But when there's a bounced email, you generally get an email of a person that replaced them. So that was a fresh that, that's lead. That's right. Because a lot of times when not even that they bounced, it would just say that they were no longer Could have been employed. Out of office too. Or uh, we love the out of office yep. because the out of office said, please contact so-and-so. That's gone. ours oh, now. <laughs> okay. So another name for the database or two. Yep. Uh, let's talk about SolidWorks user groups, because I think this is something that there's so many SolidWorks user groups, I, I believe over 150 now just in the U.S. And tell folks what SolidWorks user groups are 
how rapid work with them, but then which an ordinary job shop may not interact in the same way that rapid could. So how would a, a typical job shop potentially want to get involved with SolidWorks user groups? Yeah, so <clears throat> the user groups are obviously, you know, SolidWorks users that get together sort of off the clock. Mm -hmm. um, generally once- Totally unpaid. Yep, unpaid, usually once a month. Um, in sparser areas, it might be once a quarter, but they meet, um, they have an agenda. It's typically like, you know, they get someone in from SolidWorks and a couple other people to do um, some presentations about new features, or they talk about, you know, they might talk about sheet metal and like how to, how to build a box or something in one meeting. And then, um, you know, there's like a meet and greet during it where there's a little bit of food and then sort of shake hands They're about like an hour and a half, two hours long. Mm -hmm. um, so we got involved uh, because they were our customer base and we, um, we would help them out with, you know, giveaways and they would use the giveaways to entice larger attendance to the group. So what did we use for giveaways? We used gas cards. Um, we used Home Depot cards, Home Depot cards, things that we with our engineers would enjoy to receive. So um, to answer your question on how a, a job shop could get involved, you, you know, the SolidWorks website, there's, there's a user group website where you can just search the US. Mm -hmm. So if you have a local group, um, you can offer a presentation on how to, you know, design a machine part for manufacturing. So you can actually go to the, one of these meetings and be- You, you should be a SolidWorks user though yourself well, yeah, or, sure. or have SolidWorks in your company. Yeah, sure. You don't want to show up and like open up Onshape or anything. But um, yeah, it was just, it was another way for us to connect with customers without being, you know, an outwardly salesy move because we were, you know, Steve Lynch, our, our head of estimating and, and later software development would do these presentations and he would teach design for manufacturing sheet metal parts. So he was offering real life value mm -hmm. to these engineers. Um, and obviously we're slipping our name in there, but it wasn't overtly salesy. It was just, we're gonna help you be better sheet metal um, designers. And then in turn, when we get those parts at our shop, we're getting them and we don't have to fix them. And, and you know, so it was like, it was, it was an ecosystem that we defined early. And when I got there, I think we probably had maybe five that we sponsored. And then again, towards when I left Rapid, we had another individual um, that worked for me that managed over well over a hundred of them. And that's, I mean, that was, that's a full-time job connecting that became, with all That people. became almost a full-time job. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, you're so, yeah. I'm thinking as a job shop owner that even if you don't want to do a presentation, you want to go to the meetings, sure. particularly if you are focused on prototypes and short runs because the engineers are designing parts and they have a lot of sway on where the parts will go. Sure. So if you go to SolidWorks user group meetings, show up as early as you can, try to talk to people during the breaks, hang out later, volunteer. They're always looking for volunteers. Yep. If you want to really get involved, be on the board. Yep, and it's, this is what marketing is. It's just, and, and it makes me think we want to really stress marketing is consistency because yes. if you only yep. sponsored a SolidWorks user group once, it wouldn't make a difference. Exactly. Yeah. So repeatability with hearing your, your brand, hearing your name, but, it, but marketing in general, it, you, if someone gets one email from you, but if every month, 
for a year, they're getting an email and there's got to be some sure. valuable content. It can't just be salesy. Of course. But even though they may not read your email, they are seeing your name over and over. And finally, when that opportunity comes up, whether they have the need and they're looking for someone or your salesperson calls them and they're like, oh yeah, I remember that company. Yep. And they're more willing to take the call or give you a shot. Yeah, I, I always tell shops, I mean, the consistency, part of the reason is the development life cycle from these engineers and people in submitting parts. So if you wanna pick at the beginning of the year, three months, you're gonna send an email blast, fine. But those three months could be the three months where they don't have anything on their desk or the month prior they submitted their parts for quote. So part of the consistency is making sure whenever that wave comes, you can ride it. So again, with groups, if they have one, a meeting every month and you go to two meetings and the other tenor when the guy is there, um, that could be a potential customer, then you lost out to consistency. So um, yeah, especially in this business, it's important to always be relevant because you never can predict when someone's ready to quote. Thinking back on Rapid, we were very disciplined in the amount of money we spent on marketing. <laughs> I don't know if you call it discipline. Well, or let's cheap. say it's, let's let's. Well, no, we were we were we were very frugal, but yeah, we but in aggregate we spent a lot of money. And what percentage of sales, roughly, would you say? Oh God, early on, I, I mean, so I can tell you for sure when we left, it was it was two percent or less. Okay. So when I got there, you probably didn't let me spend any money, which was a good thing because it forced me. <laughs> no, to we were spending money. The, the bulk of it was on, more, Google, was on Google AdWords. Sure. So, but like getting a budget didn't, didn't happen for a little while, but it was good because it forced me to be a little more gritty. And I never, I did things myself. I didn't source things out. I, I figured it out. So the good example is you would, you would bring up something to do like, you know, we should try this or whatever. And I'd say, yeah, no problem. And I'd leave your office and go, fuck, I got no idea how to do that. So I'd go to Google and I'd learn how to do it and I'd watch a video or whatever. And I'd figure it out every time. I don't think I ever said no to you when you said like, let's try this or let's do this. It may not have worked. And I'd have to come back and say, you know, it didn't work. And this is why, mm -hmm. but I tried it all. And that's how I generally did everything until I finally just started looking for those new things myself without having to get told, you know, let's try this. I was looking for things to try. Um, and a lot of that came from just looking at competitors and seeing what they were doing, the ones that were successful. And I would <laughs> say that compared to other larger companies making parts, a 2% budget was actually low, 2% of sales. Absolutely. Budget. Yeah. For a job shop that's between five and 25 million in sales, what percentage of their revenue do you think, or what range of revenue should they be thinking of for marketing? Sure, so for bigger shops, you probably wanna be around seven to 10% of marketing and sales dollars of revenue. So, yep, and so, you know, when we were at two, that was, a, that was still a lot of money. And, I, th I think it's different because of the space we were in too. So you could look at our space and see, okay, there's 25,000, 30,000 shops and, and 25 or 50 of them are doing real marketing. Mm -hmm. The bar is low. You don't need to spend a lot of money. And we didn't, and we were successful 
because you know around that. I, I think if we had a bigger so budget, today, we would spend, so today you need to spend more as a percentage of sales, sure, because more shops are getting more savvy. Yep, absolutely. So you know, the even in the past five years, you see more shops, and whether it's because um, it's a generational thing, or it's being passed down, or um, or, or you know, investment firms are starting to buy shops up. Websites are being created, and though that wasn't always the case, it was you know you'd see a shop on Google, but they wouldn't have a website, so you could find them in the yellow pages, um, or there'd be like a business page set up for them because someone searched for them a number of times. So um, you're gonna want to you need to spend more today. I mean, if if I was doing it all over again, I'd spend much more. Okay, for a shop who just wants to have a digital presence, but doesn't want to be super aggressive about marketing, what percent of revenue would be, what, what's a minimum that you, because just to update your website takes sure. some dollars. It's, it's, I mean, it's really tough because there's a, there's a couple ways to look at it. If you're going to hire someone internally, that's, that takes a big chunk out of it. Right. So, you know, if I was, if I was, looking at a shop and, and a lot of shops are probably under the, the $3 million range. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 5,000 a month is not, is not out of the question to, to put towards a budget um, and get, and get real results done. But if you're just trying to have a basic digital presence again, and I think what I'm hearing too is you, you're using a monthly, so it gets into that consistency, Yeah, but $1,000 a month, will that do something for sure, you? Sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, there's, there are some shops that are still doing, doing activities and some that aren't. So well, I think know. most shops are, it's spotty. They'll spend a bunch of money and then, and then they don't do anything. Yeah. And that's, and that's my experience when I talk to shops that have done marketing before is they tried it for six to eight months and then put it, put it away. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, spend anything you can. I mean, when zero, a thousand bucks will make a difference for sure. How do shops know whether the marketing dollars they're spending are actually good spending that they're making good investments sure. or if it's just a waste? Yeah. So there's a couple things with that. One is you want to make sure that you put some sort of tracking in place so you can, what do you mean by tracking? Tracking. So, I mean, this goes back to when, when I talk to a shop, I mean, if I won't, I won't even work with a shop if they're not, if they don't have a website because that's kind of okay. excludes them. So from, how do you from put the, tracking in a website? You, you put on some sort of conversion device, like a form, you know, like you want to submit a quote mm -hmm. or you have a contact us form. So when the user goes through that process, they get to a certain page, a success page, a thank you page. Um, and you can track that using an analytics program. Google analytics is so a So they one. have to put in their email before you'll give them something. Sure. Or, yeah, they give you something. I mean, if you're not asking for an email, you're, something's, something's wrong. But yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, you want, you want them to get to a, a particular page. Um, and then, you know, you ask, you ask people how, you heard, how they heard about you. Mm. I mean, it's common, a lot of it's common sense. I mean, a lot of shops have one new customer every six months that I'm talking to. One, and that's like a victory, which is not where I come want, from. Do they want more? Sure, yeah. Of course. I mean, I've, I don't think I've spoken to more than a handful that don't want to grow, but those conversations are pretty quick. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, so tracking in place and, and then again, common sense, you know, how'd you hear about us? And then it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be this sort of black box mystery. It's just, you know, um, if you spend, if you're spending X dollars at a trade show, how many leads did you get? How many of those leads turned into a customer? I mean, it's, it's. So in the early days at rapid, I would personally call every new customer and thank them for the business. And one of my questions was, how did you hear about us? Because we were spending the bulk of our marketing dollars on Google AdWords. Yep. And I wanted to really understand whether that made sense or not. Yep. And it did. I could, I could sure. see that typically about half of our new customers came in from Google AdWords. Yep. The others, a lot of them was from engineers and purchasing agents moving around for to a different company or referrals. But the Google AdWords was huge. But the only way I knew that was by after the order had been shipped, asking them how the experience was, how they, how we, what we could do better. Sure. And I'm going to call all this marketing because absolutely, but it was myself. I didn't delegate that out to someone because marketing was that important. Sure. Important to me. And I, and I changed that later. So, you know, when, right. we, when we got a right. CRM, you go to a trade show, you know, we put all those individuals into a campaign and we were so sophisticated um, from a technology standpoint. Right. So when we, we had a quote go out, it, it was created in salesforce.com and then the campaign was attached. And I could tell you instantly how many dollars we spent on the show, how many dollars in quotes we got from it, what our win percentage was from the show and how many orders, new customers, and that's, everything. That's a great example of how sophisticated you can get and you, and you actually not just want to get there. You have to get there if you're spending yep the types of money we were on, I think we were doing 20 trade shows. Which ones were we, we, what we, the most we did were, I think in one year were 28. And I want to note real quick though, as we talk about tracking is we, we spent tens of thousands of dollars a year in tools that mm. gave us the capability to understand our customers better. Mm -hmm. So um, we, when we we're growing, you, you know, you can't call everyone and still get the other duties you need to do done. So it was important to automate some things and be able to just hit a button and, and pull a report. Mm -hmm. um, and that saved time and money and let people that were experts in certain things continue to do those things instead of make calls like that. So Let, let's just talk about trade shows for a second. Because with the new reality of social distancing, our trade shows, they, they were already slowly evaporating as yeah. a mechanism to meet new prospects. But wh where are we going from here? What's yeah. your thought? So, so, so real quick, we started at five, we got up to 27. And then when I left, we were probably going to be floating around 18 or 17. So the writing was on the wall with shows and, you know, where we go from here is, I mean, it, trade shows used to be sort of the escape for some of the people in the office to go out and, and, and do those things. And now, you know, maybe it'll be do, escape from home. Yeah. It could be an escape from home, but, but you got to hold them. And I think a lot of them are going to start to be digital. Um, there's a lot of overhead involved with shows, you know, renting these big mm -hmm. facilities and the manpower to get it together. Yeah. And it's all in the name of an email person's name, 
and a handshake. So the handshake part is what humanizes companies and that's why shows were important. But as a newer generation of buyers and engineers get into the market, it's, it's going to be less important because the standard is, Oh, I need something. Okay. Let's go to Google. I found it. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, I'll find three others and see which one makes the most sense and try it. So there's less of a human factor in, in closing deals, you know, for these businesses. And so trade shows, you know, unless it's going to be a, a situation where you're, where you have like a Salesforce Dreamforce, where there's tens of thousands of people going to them right. and they're learning about cloud and soft, you know, you know, cloud platforms, then <clears throat> that's, that's like more of a fun But it's party. almost, I think job shops are just in such a tough place because if you go into a larger trade show, you get lost in the sure. shuffle. Yeah. And if you go to a smaller regional trade show, like the job shop shows or Amcon, yep. they, you, you you stand out more, but are those shows going to be able to survive? Sure. And I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Before we, we've been all over the place, but before we leave rapid, one of the things that I really enjoyed in our relationship was I hate managing people <laughs> and you realize that. Managed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You hate being managed. So, but you managed me. Can you just for we'll we'll switch to a listener maybe who is reports to a job shop owner who doesn't like to manage them, but everybody needs to get feedback on how they're sure. doing and and set metrics for success. Yeah. So can you just share how you developed the system because it wasn't me. You developed the system and how we work together and why you think it was successful. Yeah. So well, I had to like figure out how you functioned first. Um, but, and, and everyone was looking for your time too. So I know that I knew that your time was, my time with you was limited. And early on, we probably met every day. And then towards the end, we probably met once every three months. So, uh, pushing through everyone to find you and knowing that the time I had was limited, I had to be extra prepared to have whatever conversation I was going to have with you. So it was bring a pen and paper. It was have an agenda and, um, if I wanted to do something, I probably had already done it, but needed you to say go. And when I brought things to you, it was high level. It wasn't, um, I wasn't going to explain everything about it unless you asked. Um, so that if you said execute or go or, or, or fine, you know, I could, I could do it when I got back to my desk, I could like hit a button and it was done. Um, <laughs> so and I don't think you ever said, don't do anything uh, really. So, um, and I put, to, I, I put together annual plans uh, and goals for me based on what the company wanted. So if you came out and said, we need right. 30 million in revenue, I used math to figure out how many quotes we needed and then figured out based on the activities we're gonna do, how many I could generate per activity. And then, you know, figured out areas where we needed to do more of something to, to up the quotes in that area but I always knew what our quotes quote goal was. And that was my one singular goal all the time. I, I looked at quotes every single day. How the many number, quotes the had, number, the of number, quotes. the whole number, not quote line items, but the top level quote. Every and I think that's day. important for job shops, whether you have an internal marketing person or whether you're using someone else to help you. It, it it's not just leads, it's quotes. 
Yeah, I mean, leads are in a sense useless. That's the top of what you call in marketing, the top of the funnel or the pipeline. But if you're not getting quotes or a reasonable percentage of those are turning into quotes, then. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I had to obviously look at averages and, and for quotes, and I probably boiled it down to quarter, quarters, you know, to, to make room for, for down weeks and months. Um, so we, we put your, or you put your plan into a single sheet on a spreadsheet. Yeah, quarter, and had, quarter of a sheet. <laughs> quarter of a sheet. You had an, annual goals. Yep. You had quarterly goals. Mm -hmm. And you were bonused quarterly yep. on hitting specific goals. And then at the end of the year, we, we looked at it and sure. saw whether you hit the annual goals. But I remember that it would always be if the it was the end of Q1 on April 1st, I would get an email from Matt. <laughs> At fucking Here, midnight. Here's how, here, here's how we did and no. what time can I meet with you tomorrow? So I, this is funny because I would send emails at like 1201. Like earlier on, I would send them right when the quarter ended and say, when can you meet? Because I knew, especially later on, it might take me two weeks to get you for 30 minutes in your office, which was fine. But like, I just knew how it worked and I knew how to get to you. So yeah. And I remember at first too, I didn't, I was really against the bonus um, compensation. I did not like that one bit. And, and um, I talked with Len Morrissey, our, our CFO, and he made me come around to it. But like everyone else, they just like, you know, I want, I want guaranteed money. I don't want bonus money, <laughs> but it was good. It was, it turned into something fun and it was what I was doing anyway, looking at quotes every single day. And, you know, when you have a company goal, it, it's a really a team goal. So, um, you know, we were, we grew very quickly and had a big team and it was fun to be part of, you know, sharing and everything with everyone. So let's step back a bit get to a higher level. Why is it important for job shops to do marketing? So first I would ask them, do you want to grow? Because, and it sounds like a silly question, but I've talked to enough that said I'm comfortable and mm -hmm. that's completely legit. That's fine, but they don't need to do marketing. They're going to live off their customers. They'll probably die out at some point and fizzle out. And that's, and if they recognize that and they're okay with that, then great. If you want to grow, then you need to do marketing because, you know, I have seen shops and rapid rapid pretty much was one because, you know, I think we were 7 million when I joined in 2011. Mm -hmm. And so the company had been around for 10 years. So I've talked to companies that have been around for 20 years and they're at 2 million. So how do you, how do you, how do you even manage that? So what it is, is they got a bunch of customers early and they live off those customers and then new customers come in as fast as old customers die they kind of swap places and there's just no exponential growth. So, so you don't, you're not going to grow um, at all if you don't want to do marketing. And then when you do marketing, you're think it's like anything else. When you put a focus on something, things will happen, right? Um, yes. Especially if you pay attention to them and, and you react to the data and, and focus on the things that make the most positive impacts, et cetera. So um, it's like anything else. If you want to grow, yeah, you, you want to do some marketing and sales efforts. If I am a job shop owner and I say, Matt, you're right. I've, I have to do some marketing, but I'm going to do it myself. What 
do I do? Or at least I'm going to direct it. What do I do? What's my plan? Uh, Where well, do I start? Well, so if you, if you tell me you're going to do it yourself, I'm going to tell you, no, you're not. Because I've seen enough shops that say that but can't. Because Why can't? All of a sudden, because that part's going to be late today. Okay, well, everything I was going to do today, I'll do it tomorrow. And then an employee quits. So marketing's easy to put on the back oh, burner. It, every time. Employee quits. We've got to hire someone else. All right, I'll do that tomorrow. Hmm. I don't know how you did it because I just liked it. Yeah. So you liked it. So these, a lot of shop owners like running shops and like getting parts out on time. Yeah. You gravitate toward what you yep. want to do. And that's fine. And that's exactly why I exist. Um, if everyone could get to the things that they wanted to do, then, you know, well, they wouldn't let me in the shop. So, <laughs> so you get, yeah, you had, <laughs> had to, to find it. something to do. You had to do it, but no, I would, I, I would say, no, you're not because I've seen, I've talked to hundreds of shops and there's, you know, three instances, you know, they, they're, want to do it, uh, but can't get to it. They have hired, uh, you know, someone else to do it, outsourced it, and it, it typically doesn't work out, um, or they don't do it at all. Those are the three things um, that I see most often. Let's put aside who's actually doing it. For the typical shop, what's some of the low-hanging fruit that they would just be able to jump on and get immediate results focusing on the website i'm not what do you mean by web focusing on website <clears throat> yeah so i'm just not sure that they you know anyone can just do that depending on how if they even have a website where okay. that's where that is and so the low-hanging fruit is, is a website if you don't have one it's getting one created mm -hmm. and if you have one is taking a step back maybe even sitting with one of your customers but you know putting yourself in the customer's shoes and looking at your website because these things are, are, you know, oh, even more so maybe actually get some customers who are friends to give you some honest feedback. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I see websites that they're just not built for their customers. They'll, they'll tell me like, we want to do complex parts in prototype volumes and we want to, we want to use, we want to do materials that are hard to mill. And then you'll go to the website and mm -hmm. you'll see none of that information. So part of it is just communicating correctly what your shop does and then doing it in a way that makes sense for your customers. And, and so that's where I always start as low hanging fruit because we're talking about updating language. I mean, that's easy stuff. And that's, that's the experience that customers are having today is going to your website to be vetted um, with the three other shops they're looking at. So, if so, you so we've talked about a whole bunch of different marketing activities. Why the website first? Cause we live in, 2020 right now. And that's where people look for services. That's where people find businesses they want to work with. Um, so, and this is true. I went, I was at one the other day, you go to a website and you spelled quality wrong. You saw quality, quality spelled wrong. was spelled wrong. So <laughs> gee, I'm going to submit a quote to you. Like it, it's little stuff, right? It, it yeah. adds up, but that's a little thing. And that's, yeah. it's a no brainer. It's low hanging fruit. Yeah. Go, it goes along with the websites and I'll throw in that all your other marketing activities are geared to getting someone excited to check out your company and, and go to your website. And your website is your billboard is your brochure yep. today. Yep. And, and I'll also note that a lot of shops have spent dollars in marketing, whether it's an agency or someone else, mm -hmm. right? They, they did it for six months and they said, you know what? 
It didn't work. It was, it was a waste of money, not doing marketing. And I'll say, look at your website. So you're, you're throwing good money at bad because you, yeah, you just paid for all this great traffic. But when they get there, they don't know what to do or that it's not the right fit. It doesn't make sense. So again, the foundation of your company, you know, if you don't have a website, you don't exist, but the foundation of your company is your website and get new customers. The other big part today is content creation. Can you yep. talk about that and how that fits into websites? Yeah. So that's part of the, the search engine optimization strategy is, is having new relevant content built out on your website. Um, and whether that's blogging, or creating uh, documents for your customers that can help them be better at their job because their job and your job are, you know, the more aligned they are, the smoother and frictionless transactions you're gonna have. And what I mean by that is design for manufacturing, right? So when you get something in that you have to fix, you know, why not take the opportunity to communicate to your customers how to design something for that process, whether it's machining or sheet metal. Um, success it, stories are huge yeah. specific customer success stories yeah. or even if you're not comfortable naming the customer talking about how as you just said you maybe took three parts and combined them into one yep or you solved another issue for a customer yep. or i remember we did a bunch of youtube videos and they they were okay. They weren't great, but yeah, they, it was but another thing they, we tried. <laughs> it was, a, it was a, it, but it's so easy today to create YouTube content. Sure. And people want to learn. And if you can share something with them, you become an expert. Yep. And you touched on something else, which is social proof. And we were huge on that, right? We called them attaboys. Yes. And every time they came into customer service, they knew to send it to marketing. So what sales. we're talking about there is a referral from a customer. And we often testimonial. We got a lot of unsolicited yep. ones and we collected them. Mm -hmm. And we asked the person if we could use them. We camouflaged their, their name and company because we didn't want to expose them to our customers. Yep. But we probably had hundreds, that, hundreds that would just hundreds. revolve on our website. And that was just because we had hundreds because we were a highly transactional prototype right. volume. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but what better, uh, proof or, you know, vetting mechanism for potential customers when they get to your website is reading about how one of their colleagues or someone, you know, in their space had an incredible experience with your company. That's mm -hmm. the real stuff right there. Yeah. Another more current marketing channel is social media. Which platform do you like and which ones are really not worth putting the effort into? So um, LinkedIn is, is definitely, you know, that's the B2B space. So this is a B2B industry, you know, making parts for other businesses unless you make parts for inventors. Um, but we, we leveraged it highly. It was, you know, that's where, where mechanical engineers, buyers, that's where they're hanging out. And it's, it's today, it's at a point where, you know, if a, a potential customer sends you a quote, look them up on LinkedIn, connect with them, tell them, thank you. Tell her, thank you for the quote. It's how you can start to build a relationship, do something extra that the other shop's not doing. Um, so if you're building and creating content to post onto LinkedIn, that's great you might as well have, you know, the Facebook and the Twitter and everything else, because 
you're already creating the content and you can just put it out there easily everywhere. So I wouldn't say that there's anyone that you, you know, would avoid, but the effort goes into LinkedIn and then you can disperse everywhere else. Another one that's coming up that I'm seeing is Instagram because part photos. Mm. And so I'm seeing success. Just don't put your ITAR parts. Of course. So that's, you know, again, that lies within what do you do for a business? I mean, if you're making all ITAR parts, you probably don't want to take pictures. And if you're doing some production stuff that's out there, it's a little different, but in any case, always ask your customer quick story. Uh, probably the second week I was at rapid and I was already digging into the website, updating photos. And then it was probably within two hours of putting a photo up. I got a call and it was obviously forwarded from customer service. And this guy was just yelling at me. He was not happy. It was an ITAR part, I think. And, uh, but I, you know, like I had no idea. And it was this stupid two Ben bracket. You couldn't tell what it was. Um, but still always ask your customers. <laughs> so that the hard way. Again, because we had so many parts going through, we were able to be pretty systematized. Sure. But one of the things I remember we did is we would take pictures and just store them yep. and three or six months or whatever later we'd go through and figure that by then the product had reach the market and yeah. we would contact folks to see if we could use the pictures but we we sort of put them in a bin yeah and let time pass we didn't want to waste time <laughs> calling them immediately <laughs> sort of that time validated our sense of urgency to get things changed but it, it was a struggle getting people to sign a document that, that said you could use their parts and that's why we did that other tactic it was sort of a shoot first ask questions later but after six months so we, and it worked. I don't, you know, we, we didn't run into very many um, issues at all. And again, so when, when, I, when I left, I think we were doing 30, 33, 35,000 unique parts a year. So think mm -hmm. about like, you know, I could ask a hundred, hundred different companies if I could use their picture and 99 would say no, because they're all prototypes. Mm. So it was like, it was stupid so you, to ask. It's, but once they're, on the market, sure. there's, so, there's typically no issue yeah, we unless that, it's a defense part or there's some other areas. We made this big bull sperm cabinet and it was on their website that we made the final product. But you, you throw that out casually. What You have to talk a little bit about that product now, Matt. It was a, this huge cabinet that we did at low volume production. It was awesome. It was, I don't remember the name of the company, but um, it was huge. It was this big assembly, and I think we we sort of did the drop ship for a quarter type thing. And but it was a fun, it was a finished product. You could go to their website and see the whole thing, so it was not a mystery. If anything, we were giving ourselves out to our competitors that we did this thing, and they could go try to take it. But at that point, we're so big. I mean, it just fine. You know, we we if you deliver on time, quality product, which is a which is a given expectation, then you're going to keep your customers. So, getting into the what you just sort of dropped there this piece of equipment would take oh what it does <laughs> details details would, would take a large quantity of bull sperm and be able to put it into packaged <laughs> materials that could be sent to the breeders so that cool, and uh, yeah it was it was a very niche market let's put it that way yeah, <laughs> yeah. so uh. I want to also get into though concrete things that you definitely don't want to do on your website. And I have a few, but go yeah. ahead. 
things that you don't want to do? Maybe you should start. Let me think about that. Well, one of the things that drives me crazy is when I go to a website and they have a uh, blog area or a news area and it has the last posting oh, is two or three ago. years ago, <laughs> five years ago. Yeah. And this is really important. If you are going to have that area, what's time at least once a quarter put something up there and no if you can once a week but i'm right, trying right. to get, if I'm you trying can, to get but shopping if, but if once not, a month but if you're not putting something up say at least once a quarter hide it you bury it yeah take it off or don't put dates on stuff yeah but it's that just makes you look bad yep uh, one that probably debate would happen maybe we're getting into a more religious type subject but i really don't like to see facility lists on yeah because your equipment changes so often and i have found that buyers will not consider you because they don't see a particular piece of equipment or it's not configured necessarily the right way so you probably want to put the types of equipment that you have three axis mills that with sure. rotary tables you have five axis but putting down i have three haas vf2s and one haas vf3 ss yeah and so so facility lists i see it all the time and the it's all about quantity at the end of the day and it's the same thing with right. with your shop so facility lists can can be fine but if again like if you're saying you have three machines well you're not bringing a lot of trust in the equation just as you say you know we have five full-time employees okay well what happens when, when one gets sick like can i trust your company to, to deliver on time so numbers can be in your favor and they can go against you and so right. the same things with you know facility lists as well as if you have three machines let's just probably keep them off the website and i also think pictures of your facility from the outside. Yeah, they're all gross. And <laughs> all shops well, are gross. So, well, it depends. If you have a yeah. large facility a or, or a very professional looking sure. lobby. There are a couple around but here. But the same thing for inside. If you have a cluttered shop, if because customers have been in enough shops where the there's just not a lot on the floors. The floors are spick and span. Yeah. Everything's white. That is what you are being compared to when you put a picture on your sure. website of a cluttered shop. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And you know, that's, a, that's, is that how you operate? It's an extension of the owner and how things are run. RFQ forms. What are your thoughts on what people do wrong with RFQ or just let me request for more information. Yeah, or just, so, uh, real quick, the things that I thought of that bug me on websites. So broken links. Oh yeah. So, you know, if you want to irritate someone that's trying to give you business, um, put some broken links on your website and, um, forms, forms that just pop up things just like, you know, Oh, this is a big one. This is a real big one. Um, home pages that have sliders. Oh yeah. So they have content, and then it slides and have another piece of content, like usually pictures, right? And I'll have like five or six pictures. I can't stand this because what you're doing is you're assuming how long it takes the user to consume information. Mm. If I'm in the middle of reading what you, what you put on there or looking at your picture and then boom, you slide it over, I get so irritated. 
You're just assuming how I consume data. And yes, I. And that bothers on, me. On top as well. of that, on yeah. top of that, if you have five or seven different pictures, you're telling me that picture one is more important than picture seven. Hmm. So what do you have in there in picture seven? That's I shouldn't really care about for your company. You're kind of, you know, you just be static. Yeah. It's okay to be static. You don't need to be too flashy when you're kind of trying to communicate what you do, how you do it, and you know how quickly you can do it. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. So RFQ forms um, or just contact forms, ways for the customers, prospects to I, I take pro- action. I probably see them on 25% of websites that I look at. We'll actually have a contact form or an RFQ form. In fact, RFQ form is probably a less of a percentage. They're mostly contact forms, but you can, you know, upload files. Um, and most often there's a request a quote, you click on it and it opens up your email, your Outlook. Um, so that's, that's okay, but you're missing an opportunity to look more sophisticated, um, to track how people are interacting with your website, where people are coming from. There's just opportunities that cost nothing really Mm -hmm. for you to take advantage of when you have RFQ forms. Let's transition into maybe two or three lies that a marketing service company will tell you when they are soliciting your business. Maybe we should call them fibs. Okay. All right. And, and one of them gets to, um, and I don't know if this relates to a specific one, but it is the sliders that you just mentioned yep. because you, the, the, what they will try to sell you on is that it's a more sophisticated Flashy. website and yeah. they're doing more for you. And just because it does more for you does not mean it's the right thing. Yeah. yeah no, but, well, but how about, uh, how much money do you, how much money do some marketing services companies want to charge you for a website and what's a fair price? So dollars you can spend on a website, 500 to 250,000, $500 to $250,000, right? You can spend whatever, whatever the place you speak with is going to put out there. But you know, if you're doing anywhere below, you know, 5 million revenue, there's no reason to spend any more than five to six thousand dollars on a website max it's just it's just not you can get a lot for your money so be weary that you're if you're paying a lot of money you're probably paying for a lot of overhead and you but you could also be paying very fair prices but the types of services you're getting are overkill right so so you might need you might be paying for five design revisions on that front page so i don't want to to say that you know you're you're going to get screwed over if you pay a lot of money. That's not how it works. We paid a lot of money for our website, but we also spent a lot of time on it, right? Right. And we had a, it took a year to do it. And we were very specific in having a bunch of different. I don't want to say functionality, but ways that we wanted the user to interact with our website. And, and, so and that cost that cost money. And we we were over thirty million revenue. So. It right. was warranted. So let, let's say I'm a 20 to 25 million revenue shop. What's a f- typical fair range for a website for, because if I'm doing that sort of revenue, I'm probably doing production parts. Yeah. So I don't have probably, probably 10 to 25,000 okay. in that area okay. um, is reasonable. But you know, the most of the shops that I talk with are, are five and under. 
five mil and under. And in that area, you're talking five grand, the best investment you'll ever make um, if they do it right. And then if you're going to go out and, and you're going to find a website for under 2000 bucks, run. Why? You know, so that's on the opposite. Why? End. Well, <laughs> you get what you pay for. And you what's know, it not going to do for you though? Well, you're probably not going to get someone that's, that's in tune with your business as much or has very much experience. You'll probably be doing more work than they're doing because mm-hmm. they're going to try to understand your business. Um, but also you might get something that's broken. You know, it's, it's, you make something quick, you whip it out. Um, and you know, how long is it going to last type thing? So, um, I've fixed many websites just like that. So I'm experienced in that area, um, where, you know, a site was built and then kind of just handed over and the owner just couldn't, didn't really know what to do with it at that point. Um, and things break. So along those lines, I think sort of another fib that marketing services company will tell you is that it's reasonable to pay, say five thousand dollars or more yep. to just host your website. Yep. And they'll and they'll make it seem like they're doing all these technical things for you. What do you say to that? Yeah, there you're getting taken advantage of. So that's that's a real one. We just saw five thousand dollars a year to uh, quote unquote manage the website, um, and that's just that's just it's being taken advantage of. So, you know, you know, unless you're in the 30,000 visitors a month range, and even then, you know, you're probably not going to pay more than a few hundred dollars a year in hosting. And then if you're less than that, you know, hundred bucks a year is reasonable. And so hosting means just sort of where your website lives on the internet and they manage that for you. So if somebody if I wanted to go out and I had a great domain name I wanted to register and I went to GoDaddy, how yep. much would they charge me to register and host that website? Sure. So, if so I was just doing it all by myself. Yeah, which you can. It's so easy. Right. So, so you might pay 20 bucks a year, you know, after that first initial year, 20 bucks a year for your domain, let's call it. And then, you know, for your hosting needs, again, depending on traffic, you're probably paying 10, 15 bucks a month max. Right. And so that'll just take to, you, that'll take you to your $30 million business. So this is just to give folks an example of what where, it costs. Where, where the costs really are. And of course there's other things that, sure. that can be added on such as email hosting and things like that, but yep. it's not, it's not $5,000 a year for hosting. Yep. But it makes me think of you, you want to be making updates to your websites. Do you, Typically, do you think a website should be able to be updated by someone who's not super sophisticated on the website? So you want to add that quarterly news item or blog. Who should do that? And and if it's you're not doing it, you're hiring somebody to do it, how much should that cost you to do things like that? This this is like a really frustrating one for me. So the website today, because we live in 2020, should be built in a way that the owner, if they choose, or anyone in the facility that doesn't know, they're not tech savvy, sh- should be able to update the website. That's mm-hmm. a given. And, you know, there's a lot of CMSs out there that can get that done. WordPress, Squarespace, Wix. There's, I mean, those are some of the most popular ones today. But um, Regardless of whether or not you're going to do it, you should have the ability to do it. You should have a login to your website, an admin login, which 
sounds funny, but oh, it's not the case. I talk to a lot of people who do not have access to their own website. This is so critical. And I, I've seen it too. They essentially lock you out of your website and can extort you yep. because you don't have the admin username. They don't, they don't want you to see how easy it is to update something. Right. Because then you, you know, I, I'm working with someone right now who, you know, they had to pay upwards of, I think, $500 for, for an update that um, probably took, you know, eight minutes. And it's, it's part of the reason why I continue to do what I'm doing is because I don't, I, every time I see that, it pisses me off. And um, if I work with a shop and I build my website and they want to do all the updates from that day forward and I never work with them again, fine. At least they can do that. That's right. like, that's my, like, I want to, I'd rather empower them than see them get screwed over because they can use that money for other marketing activities or anything else that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's another fib that I used to get pitched with all the time is that we'll get you onto the first page of search results. What do you have to say to that one? So it's possible. It's certainly possible. But if you don't know why or how that happens, then that's, that's exactly why these companies that are calling you 10 times a day are doing it is because it sounds great. And sometimes it's too good to be true, but it's definitely, um, it's doable, but it takes a substantial investment. It takes a company that you're working with to completely understand your business um, and, and how it functions. And then it takes time. So, you know, what, what does page one mean? Does that mean page one, when you're Googling from your city, from your state, from the, the U S those mm-hmm. are all different tactics uh, that SEO services provide. And, and it's very doable, but the, the, the investment can be substantial because it takes competitive research. It takes keyword research. It takes understanding your business. So you just have to be prepared to have a heavy investment so it's, you know, it's not necessarily a fib or lie as much as it's a, it's a hook to get you in the door, but unless you know what's going to, it's going to take, because if you're going to, if you can spend all the money in the world, yeah, you're going to get there. You'll get in the first page. Sure. <laughs> but you know, it's, you got to understand that, you know, if there's another 500 shops that are wanting to do the same exact thing and there's only 10 results, right. How does that work? Hmm. Um, so it's just a strategy where, you know, if you do some of the, we, we never talked about SEO at Rapid. We never did. We just what is did SEO? Search engine optimization. We just did the things naturally that made sense well, that what, turned into SEO. Wait, so, but just for somebody who doesn't understand, what is search engine optimization? It's preparing your website in a way that, you know, Google is crawling you and is going to, you know, you're optimizing your website to be higher up in search results. And we did that through creating new content and pushing a lot of traffic to the website, a lot of competitive research, looking at what competitors were using for keywords that we wanted to rank for and trying to get in front of them. But we never called it that. We just, it was just something I did because it made sense. Hmm. And then only later it was like, oh, that's like something that you should be doing. (laughs) So there's two ways for Google to present you. One is the what's called organic search results, which is you don't pay for it. You just show up. Yep. And that's what we're talking here. It's more of an annuity when you do work. On your right. It, and it's how your website, as you described, is presented to Google. 
And then there's the Google AdWords that you pay for. Yep. And that's a bidding contest and there's all sorts of variables. Yep. And that's, it's gotten to the point where you probably want to work with someone who specializes in that if it's something you think is important as a marketing activity. Sure. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I, I do some of it with, with local, we focus on local uh, regions mm -hmm. and that's where the game is easier to play. Locally. Yep. So, so smaller shops, you know, AdWords, in, but you, you got to make sure you set it up that way. It doesn't just come out of the box mm. in your state. Like you have to, you have to tune it to your area and then optimize it. So there's, you know, a professional doing it is, is, is a great thing, especially if you're going national with your business. But if you're, if you're a, if you're a three to $8 million business, you know, you haven't sucked up enough out of your region. To start well, and most, on, most on job national. shops, work within a radius of where sure. they are. They're not sure, then, national. Then, and so Google AdWords in that, in that way, if, 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 you, if you just location base your ads. And they're also less expensive. Yep. It can be, it certainly be helpful. So you'll, you'll just be bidding against any possible shops in that region. And it's important to note that, you know, in order to get started with AdWords, you want to have a substantial investment, just like you would with SEL. If you're not going to spend at least a thousand bucks a month in, you know, paid, paid credits to Google, um, you're not going to get enough data back in order to make changes that are going to be relevant to, to optimize your account. So you can't, I've seen some companies dabble and uh, 40K later, not get anything out of it. So it's, it's easy to waste money there as well. All right. Any other exaggerations that a marketing services might, company might be pitching you on that, uh, not, so one thing I see often is, is I call the swing and the miss. And that's when they, uh, what I mentioned earlier is, is they just go balls to the wall on marketing activities, push traffic to the website, but they didn't stop to say, is your website in the best position to take this, this money, you know, and, and do something good with it. So I see that a lot is they just go right to the activities and don't start with the website. Um, and again, it's just wasted money when you push traffic to a website that's not functioning correctly. Or don't set up goals. Like that's like a basic thing in Google Analytics is set up a goal. And what that means is just a conversion happened. You can create a goal against it. Google Analytics is free. It's easy to set up. And I do it for shops all the time. Google but, Analytics is a way to measure sure. how your website AdWords traffic. are performing where you're, where you're paying. Sure. And it, does it also measure the, so it's, the or, organic stuff too? Yeah. It's, it's, so it's all organic, but it, you can connect it to AdWords. Okay. So it starts out as just, you know, your website traffic, where, where the sources are coming from and, and page views and, and things like that. So um, yeah, you know, I would, I would take a step back and just make sure the website's in the best possible position for putting money into it. You are now at, Paperless Parts as the Director of Marketing Services. Is that your title? Yep. What do you do there? What, what is the goal when you are working with a job shop in their marketing services? How do you approach that? So I do, I do what I loved to do at Rapid is I help shops with their, their presence and getting quotes in the door. And part of that, again, is going back to the foundation of their, their company and their digital presence is their website. Um, so, you know, working with them on, on 
different activities that will increase traffic and therefore increase quotes. So I work closely with shops. Um, some, some are our customers and some are, are not um, for paperless. So the focus is on quotes. Yep. When you are implementing, do you put in a tool to measure quotes yeah. or? Yep, absolutely. So that's just the basic part yeah. of how you're, yeah, of like any a, marketing service. Yeah, I can't, you, you, yeah, it's, it's kind of ridiculous to not, not do that. So that's the first thing I and, do. If and it's, it's not, easy enough to do that it should be done and, and is done. Takes two minutes, yep. So putting in, again, I, I use Google Analytics. It's because it's a great free tool mm -hmm. that you can take with you. So, mm -hmm. you know, anytime. Uh, do you give them the admin? Absolutely, 100% <laughs> of the time. Sometimes I have to fight to get the admin from the old person that had it. Ah. Um, so I've had to recover accounts before because the owner didn't have the admin, but someone that moved on did mm. or an old agency did. So um, make sure you always have the admin to your website, your analytics account, if you have one and anything else that your company, you know, yeah. should own really. Yeah. So um, what happens when you bring on a new customer? Where do you start? With the website, like everything else. So, I, so but you, when you say start with the website, do you have a form that you have them fill out you have a conversation yep I, I, I want to get yeah real, what do you do yeah it's a conversation so when i have an initial talk with them i ask them a bunch of questions um not necessarily rhetorical but i want to hear how they view their company and how they want to earn business what they consider the gravy job the jobs they mm -hmm. want to go through the shop Yep. And then nine times out of 10, what they just told me is not communicated on the website. And that opens the door. That's the, okay, this is, this is where we're starting. And this is why, because you just said it. Um, and, you know, that's again, nine times out of 10, that's, it's, that's that. That's what leads us into the website. And then we'll talk about the different things that, um, you know, best practices to do on the website. You know, your website shouldn't be one page. Right. You know, that's you're doing yourself a disservice. So we'll talk about adding pages for each process you do. If you do turning and milling, have two separate pages, one for each. And so website build out all the things that I, I feel like it's hard for me to talk about this thing because it's like kind of natural for me when I have conversations, mm -hmm. I probably don't pay attention to, you know, there probably is a, a real process in place, but I'm just real quick about it. And like, mm -hmm. you know, this is do this, 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 and this. And then we'll talk about, you know, step two, which is pushing traffic to the website. What's the, what size in revenue customers do you work with? Mostly 500 to 4 million. 500K yep. to 4 million. Yep. And what do they, what do you typically see? We're, we're talking website, but even social media, any of the other marketing activities, what do you typically see with a customer who engages with you, what do they look like before? And what's your goal after working with them, say a year? Yeah, so so in general, disorganized would be a good way to put it. It's the, I only work with shops that understand the value of marketing. And if I can't communicate that early on, then we generally don't work together. So the shops that do understand, the shops I do work with, they know the value of it, which means they've been spotty about it. They have done things but it's disorganized. Uh, they might have a Google business page, but so all it was was getting set back up. to that word consistent. Yep. So they might have a Google business page, but all that happened was it was set up. 
there's no pictures, it's not filled out. They might have a Facebook page, but they've never posted and there's no pictures, there's no logo, it's not filled out. Mm -hmm. Or they have all these socials, but they're not connected to the website. So, or like we mentioned earlier, there's a website and there's a blog, but the last blog was written two years ago. Again, spotty, kind of disorganized. And again, all valid because their job is to get parts out the door. It's not to do marketing. So, right. so, so, so again, I, I see that I see and understand that they see and understand the value. And what we're, what I'm trying to do is help it along on a consistent basis. Some people would perhaps want to work more locally with a marketing services sure. company. And how do they find someone like you who is local? What, what sort of questions do you ask to qualify whether somebody is actually going to be able to do, you're going to do a great job, Matt, but they, they want to have somebody who's going to do at least a good job for yeah, them. How do, you, how do you find them? You're not going to find a local, Matt, but you can find something close. Have a conversation with them and see, see that they understand your business. Um, because again, part of it is understanding what you do. We, it's kind of an interesting industry that not everyone's familiar with how things are truly made and, and how everything gets done in the processes. And, um, you know, if you have to spend more time explaining what you do, than the person doing the work is actually getting done, then it's a red flag. And I see that a lot. So do you think it's important for a marketing services company to have other job shop customers? Sure. That could be a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but if they don't, is that a red flag? It could be, but you know, you don't want to discount anyone because of that. It'd probably be valid to get someone into your shop and, and again, have that conversation because they could be, they could know and understand and just not have any customers in that area. But in general, you know, having, having a, an agency or an individual that's been, you know, in, marketing shops is going to be an advantage of you to you. Thinking back on to how you're bringing somebody on board, just where do you get pictures for websites? How, who writes the pictures actual, are tough. Who, who, okay. Let's pictures. Yeah. So pictures can be tough and, and I hate stock photography, but sometimes we have to use it with the caveat what is, is stock photography. Stock photography is a professional, you know, photograph taken, you know, by Adobe stock or, or, you know, any of the big photography agencies out there that just, you can go in and buy it's 80 bucks and you can use it on your website, but you know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't humanize your business. And when someone goes there, it doesn't make you look unique. You know, I want to see the parts that you made. I want to see your machines, not the fake stuff. So um, we try to steer way far away from stock. Sometimes we have to do it until we get a new picture in, but that's the caveat is like, this is your top priority is replacing this image with one of your own. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think typically the job shop is taking pictures themselves and providing them to you. Absolutely. They, I know we had professional photographers in and what's Typically, you're looking at what a minimum oh, that was to a, get a, fo- that was a professional few photographer. thousand dollars at least, and then it got yeah. higher and higher. So, and and it, my job would be much tougher today if um, everyone didn't have a professional camera in their pocket. Right. So, just be you know, if you have a pho- iPhone or a, an Android, a newer phone, you are very capable of taking professional photos for your website. And I'm going to give a plug for videos. 
Sure, I, we did thing. a podcast with CSI Group, and they put a video which they took of how they implemented a robot in quality. Yep. And I read the story, but until I actually watched this roughly two-minute video, maybe, it didn't click. And after I saw that, it was so powerful. Yep. So I think the the big thing there is it doesn't have to be super professional. It's that content. It's something that demonstrates that you are an expert. Yep. So how about content? Who writes the content? Yeah. So ideally, ideally it's, so it depends what the content's around, right? So if you're talking about your shop and you're talking about blog content, you want, you'd love it from the owner, um, the person that's in there every day. Uh, When you're talking about content surrounding you know, your processes, your lead times, your quality, or just content for your website to build it out further. You just want someone writing it that knows what they're writing about. Simple as that. I mean, your target is engineers and buyers. They're very smart people and uh, they can smell bullshit when they're reading it. So, you know, your website is is a place to, to bring people in and sit them down and have a cup of coffee and like, you know, send us an RFQ. (laughs) It's not supposed to be this place where you're kind of uptight and, and, and sterile, I guess would be a good way way to put it. Yeah. I always like the company history about pages and particularly the ones of the owner and the executive team, depending how yep. large the company is. Yeah. So that's the same thing with machines almost. And yeah. so they less, it's going to be careful with that. But yeah, I mean, you're humanizing it. I love, I every shop I work with, um, I, I try to, you know, when we're building on a new website and we're working on a about page, I want you standing in front of your machine, like looking, mm, looking at yeah. me and everyone hates getting me that picture. That's the picture that takes the longest. Okay. Because no one wants a picture that like take a picture themselves and send it to you. And I don't know. It's just, that's the one I, it's the hardest to get, but it's one of the most valuable because people like dealing with people. They keep, they like working with people. So, um, you know, seeing that they can, they're keeping, you know, manufacturing in America and, you know, this is a third gen shop and you grew up sweeping floors like that, that, you know, that helps you, that can help you close business. Um, And it's just less, it's more, it's more humanizing. I was thinking someone might have a fear that you have created a website for their competitor and how are you going to differentiate them from you? But as you're talking about how you go about the process, it seems that it, it's so individualized for each shop that every shops should when at the, yeah. with an end result, it should be that your, your shop, your unique, attributes are captured in the website yeah and they're captured first in our conversation so i i've worked with a lot of shops and there are very few commonalities between them very few because they in general all know each other and they all want to be different than the Mm -hmm. other guy so they pick things you know they pick all these things that they want to be the best at or they want to they want for their shop for business and everything's slightly different and you know we're we're using, you know, colors from their logos, which can be similar, but like, it's, again, it's everything kind of derives from the conversations I have with them. So it's not necessarily cookie cutter, you know, same language, same shop doing the same thing. It's, it's very individualized. 
how do you add value to a $25 million shop? What sort of things beyond the website are you engaging or consulting? Yeah. So that's, that's like that, that's the consulting so a, a $25 million shop. Do they have an in-house marketing person typically? Yep. They either have one or should, do you think they should? If they, abs don't? they absolutely should. Um, but if they don't, they're typically have an agency do it, um, which, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with an agency, but if you're pulling in that sort of cash, hire someone because it's, you're just going to yeah. get, you're going to spend less and get more. Yeah. And I'm thinking one thing we didn't mention is that one of the reasons I think that you are so responsive is that you grew up with technology. So sure. look towards younger folks within your organization, yeah. those who are particularly computer adept. If you're a shop owner and you have a teenager, yep. they would probably eat some so, of this stuff up. Yeah. And, and they don't, I'm a, I'm the proof that you don't need to get someone that is, um, has a, a ton of experience. If when you go that route, when you're a bigger company mm. and you have, you have some wiggle room for someone to learn. Because so you, you had a, the you motivation. Had a, you had a marketing degree. Sure. What pieces of the marketing degree did you put into place? Nothing. Or, so everything nothing. You, you learned. Nothing. Not nothing. But that, I'm sure I learned like, no, nothing. So <laughs> I was going to say to be organized, but that's not, that's not the case. Um, no, I, I got exactly what I wanted. And that was a piece of paper that probably so you don't tip have the scale for you to say, all right, let's hire them. So you, would you have hired me if I didn't have a degree in it? How many people did you hire before me? Were you looking for someone that had a degree or no? You or? had a good personal recommendation. So, Ooh, but nice <laughs> Who was for, for a, someone looking to hire a person in the marketing role, a marketing degree isn't as important as the, desire and aptitude no. and the probably the computer skills at this 100%, point. percent because if you can find someone that's in your shop that maybe they've been running machine for for a couple of years and they and then they want to get into marketing and they're motivated that would be a great individual because they know manufacturing already they just have to learn the marketing part and the more you do the more you learn do, do what i did you look at the competitors see what they're doing and again when you're a 25 mil shop you have some room to you know allow for learning and you're going to start at a lower pay scale so it's not like you know you're mm. you're trying to get one of those people that grows with the company that's what you did and we were at like seven mil so this could be a hot potato uh -oh. what do you think about print advertising and where where would you use print advertising today for a let's say a shop with revenue up to 10 million. So they're not a, so I'm not saying this was right because I don't, maybe I lost a lot of opportunity that I could have had. I didn't do any print at rapid ever. Why? From seven to $50 million in revenue. We didn't do it once. Why? Because I am from a generation that doesn't think that would make sense. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't, I had all these dollars that I could play with eventually. And, um, well, I didn't push you to either. No. And, and, and honestly, if you, if you told me to do it when I got there, I just would have done it. Cause I just did everything. Cause I was still learning. I would have done it. Um, but 
you know, when I got to the point where I, you know, dictated everything we did and it wasn't a, we always thought about it, but it just, I didn't like the, I didn't like the amount you had to pay. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I look at it as it's, there's probably some value there, but our marketing dollars were limited and I'd rather spend them a different way. That was the thing is like, you you don't have unlimited money. So, you know, if you're, if you're going to invest, you know, 5k, look at your audience and see if that makes sense. Sometimes it does. I mean, print's still out there for a reason. Um, but more and more newspapers are, are going digital and, and that's just, or or not around. Or it's gone. So, yeah, you know, there's a place for it. I'm sure it just wasn't with our customer base and, and, you know, I could be wrong, but we did pretty well without it. I thought it was just fair to to touch upon print. So we could probably keep going here for another couple, couple hours. It's, so much fun for me and it obviously had a huge impact for rapid so many different stories to share on how we did it and i liked how we covered some of the little nuances on how to get started how to get it done what to do what not to do thanks for coming in and sharing some of your secret sauce hopefully this helps an owner understand that marketing should be part of their budget did we miss anything important? Anything else you want to inject? Um, no, I just, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty black and white. You, you, you're in or you're out. So if you want to do marketing and you want to grow, if you want to grow your business, do marketing and be consistent about it. Um, and, you know, if you're not looking for growing, don't waste your money. <laughs> like, you know, it's, right. if you don't want more work, then don't put money into something that's going to give you more work. Simple as that. Where can people reach you, Matt? I can be reached uh, via email, matt at paperlessparts.com. And you can learn more about uh, my services at paperlessparts.com as well. Great. Well, obviously you've heard how excited marketing gets me. It made a huge difference for us at Rapid and as a percentage of sales really didn't cost a lot of money. And I challenge you to take a hard look at your marketing activities and make the commitment to at least thinking about how marketing might impact you and your business. Do you want new customers? How will you get them? Or if that's not important to you, even think about it for your existing customers. How do you keep them aware of what your shop is doing? That is marketing. So that's it for today. Thanks for making us a part of it, for tuning in. And until next time, keep those spindles turning, those lasers cutting, and those website leads rolling in. Have a fantastic, very profitable day.